In front of you, Daniel chapter 9, if you have a Bible there, Daniel chapter 9, which we read a few moments ago. And we're going to work our way this evening through Daniel's prayer as we have it here in chapter, chapter 9, verses 1 to 19. And our theme for this evening, quite simply, is powerful prayer. Powerful prayer. Uh, most Christians, even if we do pray regularly, uh, I would imagine that many of us often feel like our prayers are not very powerful. Maybe we feel like we repeat ourselves. Maybe we feel like we're easily distracted. Maybe we think of other people that can pray seemingly uh, great prayers, we might say, and we feel that we can't pray like they do. Well, if you can identify with any of that this evening, uh, and you want to know how to pray more powerful prayers, there's maybe no one better to learn from other than the Lord Jesus Christ, that is, no one better to learn from than Daniel. Daniel, of course, is known as being a man of prayer. It was his prayer life that got him in the lion's den, of course, and by God's grace, he, he, he survived it. And this prayer in Daniel chapter 9 comes, uh, perhaps, we don't know exactly when, but several years after that incident. Uh, and what's particularly striking about this prayer is when exactly Daniel prayed it. Look at Daniel chapter 9 and verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent Amid, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. When you see that word Chaldeans in the ESV, it's, it's another translation of the Babylonians. The Babylonians. And what that verse is telling us, Daniel chapter 9 verse 1, it's telling us that this was a prayer prayed at a turning point in world history. A turning point, not just in the history of God's people, but for the world at that time. The Babylonians had destroyed Jerusalem in 597 BC and they had taken many young Jews like Daniel away from Jerusalem at that time. And they had been exiled from the promised land. But then in 537 BC, the Babylonians themselves were overthrown by a new superpower, the Medes and the Persians. And a whole new regime was now in place. And people would have been asking perhaps some of the same sorts of questions as have been asked in recent weeks in our media as we've seen the Taliban take power in Afghanistan. What is this new government going to do? What new laws are they going to impose? I'm not comparing the Medes and the Persians to the Taliban. I'm just saying uh, regime change brings those kinds of questions. What, what's going to happen next? And for faithful Jews like Daniel, when this new regime took power, the big question in their minds would have been, well, is there any possibility that this will lead to a return to Jerusalem? Because that, of course, was the heart's desire of the Jewish exiles, that they would get back to Jerusalem. At least it was the desire of the godly among them, those who uh, had faith in the God of Israel. And so this could have been a potentially... Tense, exciting, worrying time for Daniel and others like him. The first year of Darius the Mede. As their exile continued and these questions remain unanswered. And of course one of the ways of thinking about our Christian lives today is that we are living in exile. Peter writes about that and he uses that language in his letter, 1 Peter. We're living in a world that is not our home. A stressful world, a, a, a world that in many ways 
uh, is we are, we are in enmity with the world. We have many questions and few answers at times about what's going on in our world. Perhaps we get discouraged by the kinds of laws that are being passed in our, in our nation and the general godlessness that goes with it. We wonder as we head into the autumn what's going to happen next with the pandemic and the destruction and disruption that it continues to bring. Perhaps sometimes as the, as the church in the world we feel a sense of powerlessness. What on earth can we do about any of that? Well Daniel shows us what we can do. We can pray and we can pray powerfully. And so as we work our way through Daniel chapter 9 this evening, we're going to see ways by which we can pray powerfully. Four ways by which we can pray powerfully. And the first of them is that we can study the scripture to pray powerfully. If we want to have more powerful prayers, we must study the scriptures to pray powerfully. At this time of regime change in Babylon, a time of potential stress and upheaval, what was Daniel doing? Well, one of the things that he was doing, friends, was he was continuing to have a quiet time. He continued to study God's word. Look at verse 2. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books, that's the Old Testament as we would call it, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Daniel, in the midst of this time of political upheaval, has continued studying God's word. He's continued taking regular time in the scriptures. And as he has done so, he's come upon Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 11 and 12, where God promised through his prophet that after 70 years, Babylon itself would receive judgment and God's people would get to return home. And so even before Daniel or any of the other Jews were exiled in Babylon, God had said to them, it won't be forever. It will be for 70 years and no more. And as Daniel reads this in God's word, he realizes 70 years are almost up. There are only, in fact, at this time, there would have been two years to go. Daniel realizes our exile is perhaps almost over. God promised it. What does Daniel do then? Does he sit back, relax, pour himself a drink and say, brilliant, only two more years. No worries, two years time, God's people are going back to Jerusalem. Fantastic, I can put my feet up. Absolutely not. Look at verse 3. What's his response to reading this? Verse 3. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with sackcloth and ashes. Friends, notice this. Reading the promises of God prompted Daniel to pray to God. Reading the promises of God prompted Daniel to pray to God. Knowing what God's word said did not provide Daniel with an excuse to do nothing. It actually provided Daniel with motivation to pray and to pray powerfully. <clears throat> Sometimes people will ask, well, if God is in control of everything, why should we pray? 
You know, if God has already got a plan and knows everything that's going to happen, what is the point in praying? Well, the Reverend Warren Peel, preaching on this same subject, turns that question around and says, well, if God was not in control, what would be the point of praying? If God couldn't do anything to to bring about his will, if God had no control over what is happening in, in our nation or in Afghanistan or in China, if God had no control over coronavirus or over our life and witness here in Jamore Reformed Presbyterian Church, then why would we bother to pray to him? You only make requests of someone who you believe has control over your request. I'm not currently in control of how many people you're supposed to have in your house at one time. There'd be no point asking my permission to hold a house party for 30 people at the minute. You make requests of the person who's in control. We pray to God, friends, precisely because we believe that he is in control of all things. Every quivering leaf, every breath we take, every atom in the universe. And we pray also, friends, because we believe that our prayers are one of the means that God uses to do the things that he has said he will do. Our prayers are one of the means God uses to do the things he has said he will do. That's exactly why Daniel's prayer is recorded for us in Scripture. It's one of the longest prayers recorded in the whole Bible. Why is it here taking up space in our Bibles? It's because soon after Daniel prayed this prayer, God answered this prayer. And the exile did come to an end as God had promised And as his servant had prayed. And so if we want to pray powerfully. We need to study the scriptures. And in particular we need to study the promises of the Bible. Because it's the prayers based on God's promises. That God is going to answer. And yet I wonder how often do we pray the promises of scripture. God has promised that Jesus is going to come back. That he's going to come back soon. How often do we pray for Jesus to come back soon? Do we live as though he is going to come back soon? God has promised that the gospel will reach all the peoples of the nations. How often do we pray for the gospel to do that? Do we keep track of how many languages still need to receive God's word? Do we pray about those places and those people? God has promised that children are a blessing and he has commanded that marriage be kept in high honour. Do we use those promises, those words in our prayers for our families and our society? God has not promised that we will always get the grades that we want. That we will get the highest paying job. He hasn't promised that our children will be high achievers. That our health will improve the sight of heaven. And it's not wrong to pray about those things friends. They have their place. But study the promises of scripture. And your prayers. And you will pray the most powerful prayers. Those promises should be the the bedrock. the, The meat and drink of our prayers. We need to study the scriptures to pray powerfully. 
Reading the Bible and praying to God are really two halves of one conversation. Imagine you met a friend for coffee and and you spent 20 minutes basically. You did all the talking. You're filling them in and your life and the ups and downs of it. And then after you'd finished, they just got up and left. Be a bit strange. Well, the Bible is God speaking to us. Prayer is us then speaking to God based on what he has said already and promised already. We need to do both together. We need to study the scriptures to pray powerfully. So study the scriptures to pray powerfully. But then also, secondly, notice from Daniel's prayer that powerful prayers confess sin. Powerful prayers confess sin. Uh, Most of Daniel's prayers, it happens here, is reverent, humble confession of sin. Look at verse 4. I prayed to the Lord and made confession. And confession, of course, is admitting your sins to God. There's a place also for confessing sins to other people. Uh, But notice here that Daniel goes to God with his confession. We don't need to go through a human to God. Uh, we We go to God in the name of Jesus Christ. He's the only priest that we need to go through to make our confessions. And confession is is admitting, I was wrong, I am a sinner, here is my sin, please forgive me. And Daniel's prayer is full of confession. Uh, It's not to say that every prayer we pray has to have this proportion of confession in it. But nonetheless, it's striking how much confession of sin is in this prayer. Uh, Four times in the prayer, Daniel says, we have sinned, we have sinned. In verse 5, Daniel uses five different words to describe what God's people have done. Look at verse 5. We have sinned. The word there means to miss the mark. Imagine shooting an arrow at a bullseye and and you, you fall short or it goes wide of the mark. That's what the word means here. We have sinned. In the second phrase he uses in verse 5, he says, we have done wrong. We have done wrong. And the word there means to, to twist something out of shape. Uh, you, you've left something just the way you want it uh, in the living room or, or, or the bedroom or wherever. And some little person manages to come in and twist it out of shape and leave it not the way you left it. That's the, that's the sense of the word there. Third word he uses in verse 5, we have acted wickedly. And that means really to make immoral choices. To do things that are just plainly wicked, dirty, murky. The fourth word he uses in verse 5, we've rebelled. We've rebelled. He's saying there, our sinful choices are like acts of treason against our King, our Lord God. And the fifth word he uses in verse 5, we have turned aside from your commandments and rules. You imagine... A little child wandering off the path. You've told them to go a particular way. They wander off in their own way. And Daniel says God's people have done that. Notice friends about all of this confession of Daniel. It's corporate. He includes himself in this confession. He says we have sinned. The interesting thing about Daniel of course. uh, Is that the Bible doesn't mention a single sin. That Daniel committed. That doesn't mean, of course, that Daniel wasn't a sinner, that he never sinned. Of course, he did. But 
the Bible doesn't take the time to tell us about any of Daniel's sins. He was an incredibly godly man. We know that from uh, the, the first half of the book. And yet Daniel here does not pray to God about all the terrible things that other people have done. He doesn't complain to God and say, well, would you look at what these people have done, God? He says, we have sinned. We have not listened. We have turned aside. And by we, of course, he's speaking about all of God's people together. Look at verse 8. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame. To our kings, that's the the failed kings of Judah and Israel over the, the years before Daniel. To our princes, to our fathers, everyone, all of us. Daniel's prayer also acknowledges that God's people should have known better than this. Look at verse 13. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us. (coughs) Yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God. What he's saying there is that despite the punishment, the discipline that God has handed out on his people, they have not humbled themselves in repentance. And he's alluding to the fact that God had told them exactly how things would go. As far back as the day of Moses, God had promised them that their obedience would lead to blessing and and disobedience would lead to punishment. But that repentance of sin would bring that punishment to an end. God had outlined all of this very clearly Back in the days of Moses, Deuteronomy 28, verse 64, God says through Moses, the Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other. And there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone, which neither you nor your fathers have known. That would be, he was saying that would be the punishment if they persisted in sin. Perhaps some of the Jews who ended up in Babylon were baffled as to why they were there. Maybe some of them were asking, well, why has this happened? Why has God done this? If God's really in control of Israel, how could he have let the Babylonians do this? Daniel wasn't asking any of those questions because Daniel knew what God's word said. And so instead of accusing God or questioning God, he was confessing to God. And perhaps what we need in our nation today more than anything else is to pray powerful prayers of confession. When COVID-19 first struck, our denomination took time to fast and pray. Perhaps we need to do that far more regularly as individuals, a congregation or a denomination. In previous generations, the church and sometimes even the national government, they They treated times of great difficulty or natural disaster as times to focus more on prayer. Uh, The the great fire of London, uh, I'll not hazard a guess, I can't remember the dates exactly or who the king was at the time. But when the fire of London broke out, the king at the time called for the nation to pray to God. I can't remember if it was a few days or a week after he did that, but... The first heavy rain for weeks fell upon the city of London. And we should be doing the same today, friends, as we see wars and disasters and pandemics. The Bible is very clear. God uses those things to graciously give people an opportunity to repent. To realize that he is in control and we are not. 
That's the sad irony of these last 18 months, all these attempts by the government and everyone else to establish some control. And yes, there's a place, of course, for taking precautions. I'm not saying there isn't. But in the midst of all of it, our Prime Minister, our nation has not sought God who is in full control of everything that we're facing. And we have not taken time as a nation to confess our sins. National sins like abortion and the so-called redefinition of marriage. And personal sins like greed and laziness, anger, impatience, whatever it may be. In our prayers do we confess sin, specific, personal and national sin? Or is our prayer life more like a shopping list of what we want from God? If we want to pray powerfully, we need to pray prayers of confession as Daniel did. So we study scripture to pray powerfully. We see that powerful prayer includes confession. And then thirdly, and very much this is connected to confession, but powerful prayers plead God's grace. Powerful prayers plead God's grace. Look at verse 18. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Back at the start of the prayer, verse 4, Daniel praises God as the God who shows, quote, steadfast love, chesed, grace. When we've confessed our sin to God, all that's left to do is to ask for God's grace. To ask for God to give us what we don't deserve. No preacher needs to convince anyone that, that you're a sinner. Deep down, you and I, we know that we're sinners. You can't tell me that you've never told a lie as I have done. That makes us liars. You can't tell me that you've never stolen anything as I have done. That makes us thieves who could go on. God's law proves our sin to us no matter how much we might try to ignore it or deny it. And God, who is guilty of no sin, who is perfectly holy, he must punish our sin. He would not be God if he didn't. Imagine a judge who was given video evidence of someone committing a murder. As well as that, the man's fingerprints were all over the victim. As well as that, two eyewitnesses saw it happen. Would the judge be just if he or she didn't sentence the man to life in prison? Similarly, God, looking at the evidence of our lives, would not be God if he did not punish our sin. And yet God is also a God of grace. He's a God who has always shown from the very beginning of human history, even from the fall, that he is willing to provide a way for our sin to be forgiven. How can God do that? How can he be both just and gracious? How can he both punish sin and forgive sin? Well, the answer, of course, is by providing a substitute. Someone to take our place. And in the Old Testament, of course, the substitute was an animal sacrifice offered at the temple in Jerusalem. That's why Daniel mentions the sanctuary. If you look at verse 17, do you notice that? He says there, verse 17, Make your face shine upon your sanctuary, 
which is desolate. Daniel's saying to God, remember God what happens in Jerusalem. Remember what happens at the temple, the sacrifices, the grace. You see, this was part of God's covenant as well. This was what he had also told his people that his steadfast covenant love would always be available to them. And of course, friends, today, Jesus Christ is our substitute, the one who brings all those other sacrifices to an end. Jesus is God's grace personified, the one who takes our sin on himself and suffered and died so that God's wrath would be turned away. Just as Daniel here prayed that God's wrath would be turned away from Jerusalem, Jesus Christ died outside Jerusalem, turning God's wrath onto himself. Maybe you're here this evening or listening in this evening or online and you're not a Christian and you wonder, where, where do I start praying with God? How do I know God will even listen to me? Why should he listen to me? He's not obligated to answer you at all unless you pray in the name of Jesus. Unless you appeal to and plead for God's grace, that undeserved love of God in Jesus Christ. There's a book come out a number of years ago. I think it was maybe Brian Chappell who wrote it. And it was called Praying Backwards. It was quite a short book. And the basic premise of it was that those words that we almost always use and should use as we pray in the name of Jesus. That there's a place for those words actually going at the beginning of our prayers. Because it's only on that basis that we can bring anything to God in prayer at all. It's in the name of Jesus. It's according to the grace that God provides through Jesus Christ. And God will always hear and will always answer prayers prayed based on the grace of Jesus Christ. He might not give us the answer we want. He might not give us an answer immediately, but he will answer. So study scripture to pray powerfully. Powerful prayers include confession Powerful prayers plead God's grace. And fourthly and finally, powerful prayers are concerned for God's glory. Powerful prayers are concerned for God's glory. Notice again how Daniel begins the prayer. Verse (coughs) 4. O Lord, the great and awesome God. The great and awesome God. Here's an example of the word awesome being used as it should be used. Uh, to be in awe means that you're left without words. You're, you're overwhelmed by the weightiness, the, the splendor, the power of someone or something. God is and should be overwhelming to us, awesome to us. But look how Daniel also finishes the prayer from verse 16 to the end. O Lord God, oh sorry, O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill. Look at verse 18. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. Friends, notice in those last few verses that word your. Your righteous acts. Your city. Your name. Daniel is saying that God's own reputation is on the line. 
Jerusalem is God's city. The Jews are God's people. The promise of an end to to the exile after 70 years is God's promise. Daniel is praying with a concern for the glory, the name, the fame, the, the spread of worship toward God. And in a sense he's saying here that if God was to turn his back on his word and his promises and his people, then people would be left wondering, is he not able to save his people? Is he not able to keep his promises to end the exile? And Daniel doesn't want that. He wants people to see that God keeps his promises. He wants people to see the gracious love of God. He wants Jerusalem restored. Not so that people will be thinking, oh, what a fantastic city Jerusalem is. But so that Jerusalem will be a place where God's people are worshipping God's name once again. Look at verse 19, the last verse of the prayer. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. As we saw last week with the prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ, the most powerful prayers, friends, are motivated by a concern for the glory of God. For God's name, his love, his grace to be more widely known, more widely praised. So many of my prayers, maybe it's the same for you, they're they're not always like that. Our prayers can become, God help me with this, help me with that, give me a good night's sleep. And there is nothing wrong with praying for those things, not at all. We are to come and pour out our hearts to our Father like little children. Whatever our needs may be, great or small. But is that all we pray about? Is it most of what we pray about? (coughs) Or do we pray as Jesus taught us? Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. For yours is the glory. When we pray for a good night's sleep, may it be so that we have, because we want energy the next day to glorify God with whatever we have to do. When we pray about our illnesses, may it be so that God is glorified, whether, whether that's through healing or whether I must endure so that people may hear about my faith through this one way or another, God be glorified. When we pray for God to take away COVID-19, it shouldn't just be so that we can get back to all the busyness and chasing after sport or work or holidays that once we did. It should be so that there is one less barrier to more people being able to gather together to worship God for the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ so that more glory would go to him. And so friends, That was Daniel's motivation and concern in this prayer. He was praying powerfully with a concern for the glory of God. Here's Daniel, exile in a foreign land, a godly man among pagans, praying about his people's sins, even though the Bible doesn't tell us about any of Daniel's own sins. Does that remind you of anyone? 
Remember the Lord Jesus Christ, a godly man among pagans, praying about his people's sins, even though he himself committed no sin. Remember what he prayed on the cross, Father, forgive them. Jesus, like Daniel, prayed for sinners. And more than that, Jesus died for sinners. James 5.16 says, The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. How do we pray those powerful prayers like Daniel and like Jesus? We need to study the scriptures. We need to confess our sins. We need to pray based on God's grace. And we need to pray with a concern for God's glory. And if we begin to do that, friends, we will be men and women and boys and girls who pray powerfully. Amen.